0: My name is Ike Shepherdson. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Denver. Uh, um, now, those of you who know me know that my wife and I have moved a lot in the last seven years. We've, we've done a lot of, like, moving around the country, around, uh, around Denver especially, in the last seven years. Our lives have felt like they've kind of constantly been in transition, which, like, you can only do that for so long, right? But when you, when you do move, you learn kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of what your neighbor situation could be like. Uh, if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, sometimes neighbors are like, this is like the best part of your, of living where you live. And sometimes neighbors can be like neutral. They can be like, yeah, whatever, you know. And sometimes neighbors can be awful. <laughs> like, we had a neighbor who, uh, who um, he, he made a compost like right next to our fence uh, at one place that we lived and it was terrible. Like for the weeks that he was like really turning it over, it's like the whole block just smelled awful. Uh, and we, had, we have these neighbors now where we live, uh, we just moved into a house um, in Centennial, these neighbors that, uh, that are just the most lovely people, uh, they're, just, they're so kind and they're so welcoming, in fact, when we first moved in to our place we didn't have a kitchen, which is a dumb idea to move into a house without a kitchen when you have three kids. Like, I don't recommend it. But it happened, that's how it goes, especially when you're, like, doing building projects and things like that. Um, So we moved into this place, didn't have a kitchen, and these neighbors, like, didn't know us, just started bringing us food. And they would, they would uh, this guy's got a big smoker, um, he's, he's from Montreal, and Montreal has like a big like smoking meats type of culture, you know, and this guy, like he fits the bill. Like, he's got all this good stuff, he's smoking up on his, on his thing all the time, and he's bringing over like just masses of food for us, and like more than we could eat, um, just like the best kind of welcome that you could imagine, right? Um, and we had another place that we lived, this is, you know, I've got like 10 different moves in my head that I'm thinking through here, where, where we... We, we moved into this place, and we had the opposite of a good welcome, okay? So I had a great welcome where we live now, but the opposite in this one place. Uh, I had all my friends show up to, like, help me move stuff in, and, like, the moving uh, company, like, lost all of our stuff. And so when the moving stuff actually got there, my friends had already all gone home, and, you know, that was stuff to do. And I was left with this truck to unload by myself, basically. And I remember this neighbor, like, neighbor, you know, like... <laughs> person who lives in close proximity um (laughs) he wasn't very neighborly he just he comes out onto his porch and he's got his coffee there able-bodied dude like able-bodied guy (laughs) and he's like hey are you new and here I am like struggling with like mattress on my back like yes I'm new welcome to the neighborhood (laughs) and he sits down and drinks his coffee (laughs) while I'm suffering and loading a truck by myself you know and he watched he watched me unload the whole thing you know just wanted to make sure he was supervising you know what a nice guy so that was not exactly a great welcome what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks here at hope denver is how to have a culture of welcome a culture of welcome how do we welcome people into our lives in the way that god would in the way that jesus does Now, we're going to use the word welcome in a number of ways. And you might be thinking, when I say the word welcome, you might be thinking a number of things. I mean, you could be thinking of like an attitude of openness to others. Like if you're a welcoming person, you're open to other people being in your life. You might think of it as like an attitude of being open to God in a way. Um, You might think of welcome as more like hospitality to strangers. Um, Welcome can also be this idea of being like willing to be uncomfortable either like socially or materially, like being willing to, to sacrifice to have other people in your lives. That, that could be part of being a welcoming person. It could be a willingness to allow God to change your life. That's where you're, you're willing to say, all right, God, I'm willing for you to change my life so that I can better welcome other people. A culture of welcome has these kinds of characteristics. Um, in our church life, in our life as like the, the family of God together, being a welcoming person means that you're willing to invite people to be part of your story. You're willing to invite people to be part of your life. And it's a key way that we live out the ethic of love that Jesus initiated. And it's important how I said that. Jesus initiated a whole lifestyle. And welcome is how we start to embody that lifestyle of love. Welcome is how we do that. So in this series, here's what we're going to focus on, and you're going to see a little bit of this in the next five weeks, is that we have, we have this idea of stretching to share our lives. A culture of welcome happens when you stretch to share your life with others for the glory of God. Because it's easy to to share your life with others so that you get recognized and that people think that you're good and you're nice and you're like a good person. Like, oh, how neighborly is she? How how kind is he? Um, But a culture of welcome is where you're not worried about getting recognized for it. Where you welcome other people just so that you can live out the kind of love that Jesus lives out. And all of this begins with God welcoming us into his family. That's what we're going to talk about today. We welcome because God has welcomed us. And that's what we're going to talk about. God's great welcome. That's the sermon today. God's great welcome. If you would, please open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it'll come on the screen. And if you're new to the Bible, 1 Peter's towards the end of the New Testament. It's a letter that was written by one of Jesus' earliest followers to some of his friends who were also followers of Jesus. And we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2 together. And it's starting at at, uh, verse 4 and following. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and this is God's word. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of god and once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. Here's what we're going to focus on today. God is building a family. God is putting together, from all the peoples in the world, a family. And he wants to tell the story in your life. He wants you to tell the story with your life and with your words of what he's doing with that family. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the the good news that we're chosen, that we're loved, we're accepted. And I pray that today that you would encourage us to bring a culture of welcome to people around us. Teach us how to do that, God. Teach us how to offer the great welcome that you've offered to us to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So God is building a family, and he wants you to tell that story with your life and with your words. So this book, First Peter, again, it's a letter written by one of Jesus' friends, and it was, it was written to a, pe- a people that were Gentile Christians. A Gentile was somebody who's not Jewish, so they didn't have that ethnic origin. They could have been Roman, they could have been Phoenician, they could have been uh, North African, but they were non-Jewish. And they were a group of people living in a city, probably a city something like Antioch, um, which is in modern-day Syria, and they were being persecuted for being followers of Jesus as people looked down on them, and in fact, maybe even worse. They may have even, uh, some of them, been put in jail, had their possessions confiscated because they followed Jesus. And the kind of persecution that came to them was really because they were religious outsiders. They hadn't done anything else. Many of them were probably poor, but they hadn't really done anything else to make them distasteful to greater Roman society other than the fact that they were religious outsiders. And now when I say religious outsiders, they, what I mean is that they had their own religious ceremonies and they didn't join in with everybody else in, their, in like the kind of common public religious ceremonies. They did their own thing. Now they weren't trying to be exclusive. They, they never pushed people out of their meetings, but they definitely did their own thing. <laughs> now in fact, they tried to welcome a lot of people into what they were doing, but they did their own thing. And here's in particular what they were accused of. They were accused of being atheists. They were accused of being cannibals, and they were accused of being incestuous. It's a little, little weird, right? Now think of why, why, the, why people thought this. The earliest followers of Jesus denied the Roman pantheon. In Rome, more religion was good religion. If you had more gods, great, send them in. We've got a whole bunch already, right? And, and these earliest followers of Jesus believed in one god. And so because they denied the existence of many gods, they were called atheists. And that was like a derisive thing back then. They were called cannibals because they would they would claim to eat the body and drink the blood of Christ. Now, they didn't go around saying, like, like hey, come to our, like, feasting ceremony where we're going to eat eat a body and, and drink blood. But that's what they were accused of. Um, and you know, it's easy to be afraid of people that, like, you don't actually see what they're doing. You don't understand them. It seems to be what happened with with these folks. They heard about this, like, communion ceremony and we're like oh my gosh the cannibals weirdos um, and they were accused of being incestuous and this is because it was very common to hear them saying things like i love you brother and i love you sister they were accused of being incestuous so these were people who were already followers of jesus suffering under this kind of persecution and you can imagine when you get those kinds of accusations being thrown at you you probably don't feel like you fit in with mainstream society right But what he says to them is something that's key and this is what comes before what we're reading right now he says hey look your lives were transformed because of your baptism something happened in you that makes you a different kind of person now your life has been transformed and so how can you keep going that's really kind of what first peter is kind of is is written for is how can you keep going when things are this bad for you and the answer is understand that you have already been welcomed into God's family, and to go out and now welcome others into God's family. So let's take a look at the text here. We're going to go back to verse four, and we'll go bit by bit here through the text. As you come to him, verse four says, the living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what this is saying is that when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus, somebody is coming to Christ. That's what it says, that word, as you come to him. Uh, They've come to Christ if somebody's a follower of Jesus. And that's the thing about, about Christianity. It's not like a new life philosophy, that if you kind of bolt it into your life, like, things will go good for you. It's a whole new way of life. It's coming to a person and having a relationship with a person. That's what this is. Knowing Jesus is knowing a person. Now, what what happened to Jesus? Well, Jesus was rejected by human beings. He was rejected. People didn't like him in his day. But it says that the Father chose him and raised him from the dead. And so in the same way, he's saying, this is what you are. (laughs) You are the misfits of the world. You're weirdos. You're rejected by the culture around you. They're calling you atheists and cannibals and incestuous. But you, just like Jesus was rejected, you are rejected. And just like the Father chose Jesus, he chooses you. See, these people were rejected by the world but chosen by God. And the metaphor here is that of building a house. It's like your stones that are being built into a house. I used the metaphor of family a moment ago god's building a family he's building you into this house into this family and what he's doing is he's taking the rejected materials the things that people think are worthless and he's using that to build a special kind of house he's forming them into something beautiful and that's something that all of us should see as good news about jesus as he takes the ugliness the difficulty of our life the ways in which other people have thought of us as being less and ugly And he says, ah, I've got a special purpose for you. You have an important part to play in the house that I'm building. And he says, you're a priesthood. That's another metaphor that he's using here. You're a priesthood. Now, priests have special access to God. If you're a priest, you're like a holy person, right? So far from being like religious outsiders, he's saying to them, actually, you're insiders. You're a special priesthood that has special access to God. And the thing about priests is that they're never self-appointed. A priest can never say, hey, I'm really good at this. So uh, I'm going to be a priest. Like, give me my vestments. I'm putting them on. Give me the collar. I'm, I'm good to go i'm the right person for the job no priests are set aside by somebody else who has authority and says to the priest you are commissioned to do service for god's kingdom a priest has been some, has been commissioned by somebody else and they've been welcomed into god and the way that they've been welcomed into god's family is through their baptism that's been their anointing when they confessed faith I'm a follower of Jesus. When they did that publicly and went underwater and came back up, that was like a commissioning for them, is what this is saying. It's like they've they've been able to see that was my anointing, where I've been set apart as something different. That's how I know that God has consecrated me for something else. And what do they do? What do these priests do? It says here in the text that they make spiritual sacrifices to God. These are sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, what we were doing here a moment ago, but not just singing. Not just saying, God, you're good, or God, you're holy. Not just saying, hey, we celebrate the sun. It's with your whole life. You're offering praise and thanksgiving and worship to God. Again, not drawing attention to yourself, but helping others to see how great God is. That's what this kind of priest does. And what's interesting about this picture of being in a family, being part of a house, being part of a priesthood, is that none of that is individualistic. None of that is like focused on, how do you live your best life? And I don't think our culture can make much sense of this kind of stuff. I mean, if you think about like, how people like, judge one another, what counts as success in our culture, it's all about what you do. How valuable are you? What do you have to bring to the table? And this is basically saying, no, you're, you're part of a family. <laughs> If one member of the family is suffering, that doesn't make them any less a part of the family. If one part of the family is having a tough time in life, they are still equally part of that family. Right? If one of the stones in a house is weak, you don't take it out. <laughs> right? You shore, up, you shore it up. You, you put supports around it. right? See, this is, this is not an individualistic thing. You're just one member of this family. Now look at verse 6 here. We're going to keep going. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, a cornerstone, this is like the, the most important stone that you would lay at the base of a foundation. Uh, and so the cornerstone really had like an important purpose of like supporting the rest of the stones put around it. And it's, this is saying that God has already like set up something that would help the house to stand strong. But this cornerstone is one that other builders considered. They looked at the stone, and they threw it away, and they thought it was worthless. But that stone is the most important stone in the whole house. The cornerstone is Jesus. Jesus, the one that, like, is his name is associated with offense all over the world. But he's the one that God's chosen to be the head of the house, the cornerstone. And when people say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, he might get some strange results, reactions to that, right? And surely, there's been a lot of bad followers of Jesus, right? There's been a lot of people who have not done him credit. But the point of this is that Jesus is the one that people looked at his life and said he's worthless. And God says, he has great value for the whole thing of what I'm building. Everything depends on who Jesus is. Let's see, let's see why. Let's look at, at, at verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. It says that people, people will stumble over this message of Jesus, They'll stumble over this cornerstone because his message is ultimately that we need to be rescued. And that's a tough message for some people to hear because if you feel like, hey, I've got it, I've figured it out, I know how to do this thing called life, then Jesus may not serve much in your, in your world. He, he may not have a lot to offer you if you're not willing to recognize that, that you need something. <laughs> I mean, if you feel like, hey, like, I've got this. Then, then you can't reach out to him and say, I need you. <laughs> you see, self-sufficiency is an enemy of the culture of welcome. If you want to feel like, hey, you know what? Life is hard, but it, u- it ultimately depends on me. Um, you're going to have a hard time welcoming other people into your life and welcoming God into your life. And this whole story, I'm telling about God's great welcome of you into his family. You won't really think that you need a family. And I'm not saying that about about you. I'm not saying that about anybody within the sound of my voice. But that can happen. If you feel like you're sufficient, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be difficult. If you feel like you're okay, then you may not get it. And that's what this is saying here, that some people are going to stumble over this message. But the good news is, is that Jesus can rescue you. He can rescue you. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, it's possible to stumble across the message of Jesus that you need a Savior, But, if you put your hope in Jesus, if you're willing to confess your sin and see that he gave his life for you, you can be part of God's family. So what does it say? It says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Chosen people, think about that phrase for just a second. These were people who were pushed to the margins of society because they were followers of Jesus. They were looked down upon, they were persecuted, but instead of being rejected, the scripture says about them, you are chosen. And hopefully that's good news to you because people are are judging us all the time. But God says to you, no, 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 I've chosen you. I have something special for you. If you belong to Jesus, then you're chosen. It says about them that they're a royal priesthood. Think about that, that's an interesting phrase. If you're royal, that means that you're part of the king's family. And if you're a priest, that means that he thinks that you're worthy enough to serve in the church that he's building. He thinks that you can do it. Not because you're so great, but because he's appointed you for it. He's consecrated you to the task. You're a royal priesthood. You're not a religious outsider. You're not not like this strange weirdo on the edge, which is sure what culture might think about followers of Jesus. But instead of being an outsider, God says, no, no, I have a special place for you. A special place for you. I hope that there's something in this message that I hope hits your heart, which is that God thinks that you are special. And that could sound really trite. That could sound really weak. But in a world where everybody judges you and thinks that maybe you're not good enough and doubts you, and maybe you even doubt yourself. A world where... You have to be good enough or smart enough or good looking enough. God thinks that you're special. He thinks that you're beautiful. He thinks that you're capable because He's made it so. You're a holy nation, it says, God's special possession. Just like Israel, the family of God, is set apart ethnically, so are you set apart into a holy group of people, a nation a special possession. Think about this. These were people again pushed to the margins. They weren't special to anybody in society. So God's saying, "Oh no, you're part of a special group of people." Not an ethnic nation, it's a transnational group. God's special people from all over the world. Today as we gather, there are followers of Jesus gathered in little places like this in homes and basements in big, grand buildings, some hiding out in in caves and worse, all over the world that are part of God's family. And they're worshiping Jesus today, and you are part of it. Not because you're so great, or because Christians were so smart and we figured it out, but just because God loves us. Just because God loves us. And I'll tell you what, when you think about the people who are not with us right now, God really loves them too God really loves them too and they don't have families and people judge them and people look down on them people who are outside of these walls there's the same kind of pressures that you and I have on our lives on their lives and God looks at them with compassion and it says hey I know what it's like to be the stone that the builders have rejected But I'm telling you, just like I formed an important part of this house, you can form an an important part of this house as well. Now, why did he do this? It says in verse 9, it says, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Why did God do this? He's got a welcome for you to offer to others to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He's saying, go and tell the world how great Jesus is. That's what I'm saying to you now. Go and tell other people about how wonderful Jesus' welcome is for you and how his welcome extends to them as well. It's saying that you're called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's like you were stuck in a cave. It's like you were blind, but now you can see the light is here. It's like you were lonely, and now you have a family. You have been welcomed, so now go and welcome others. That's what this is saying. And it says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. This is verse 10. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, Gentiles, these people who were listening to this this letter, they were not typically understood to be insiders in, in the Jewish culture. But he's saying, all of you from all over the world, wherever you live, you're now a part of God's family, a special possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And the Roman world was bleak and merciless. Anybody who studies Roman history can figure this out in about five seconds. It was a world full of suffering. It was a world full of exploitation and death. And it says to these people who knew more about this than you and I probably could ever understand, once you had not received mercy, they understood that phrase. But now you have received mercy. And that probably would hit them a lot harder than it may hit us. And yet, I think we all know some of what it's like to feel like you're sitting under your, the, the shadow of your own anxiety or under the judgment of other people who are looking at you. I think we probably all know that merciless feeling of, I just can't be good enough for these people. Or, I just can't get away from the fact that I'm like this. And what this says about you and about me that once we had not received mercy but now you have so go tell other people about the darkness that you've been called out of and the light that you've been called into declare the praises of this Jesus who was the stone that the builders rejected who is now the cornerstone in a world that suffers rejection difficulty and strife you my friends are called to participate in god's great welcome to other people let's stand together god you're building a family god you are you're building something in us in this little church here next to the university of denver you're saying i'm building a family across the world we think of of uh, especially our christian brothers and sisters who are in um countries in the middle east today where they if if people knew they were worshiping jesus they may be killed for it you're building a family from them we think of the great churches in europe and you're building a family from them we think of of our, our our brothers and sisters in the global south a mighty church you're building among people of color with women as leaders with outsiders and poor people Bringing the scriptures into people's ears today, you're building a family. With those of us who are broken, with those of us who have much, and with those of us who have nothing, you are building a family. And we want to be a part of it. So let's just open up our hands before God right now. God, I just pray that you would help all of us to offer the welcome to others that you've offered to us. And God, our hands are open. We don't have what it takes to go and show compassion to everybody all the time, and yet you're calling us to offer welcome. We can't be Jesus, but we can offer the welcome of Jesus. And it's by your presence living in us. So let's go ahead and invite him right now. We believe that God actually gives his, his actual presence to us, and we can ask him to live in us and his spirit to lives inside of us. God, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit to empower us to bring a welcome to other people in Jesus' name. And I just have a sense right now that some of us need to know that God has indeed welcomed us. If that's you, just say, God, thank you that you welcomed me. Maybe just say that right now. Say, thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me. Thank you that you welcomed me. Thank you that I'm a part of your family. Thank you that I'm no longer rejected. I'm special. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm no longer an outsider. I'm an insider. Thank you that I'm no longer just lonely, but now I have a family. And I pray that as we go today, that you'd fill each one in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to be agents of your welcome, to declare the praises of him who brought us out of, dar- out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if, that, if that's you and you, you just you have the sense of like, yeah, God's calling me into his light, I want to give you a challenge. If, if you just have this, this feeling of like, yeah, there's something in there that was for me. My challenge is just to tell somebody. (laughs) If there was something in that where you're like, hey, you know what? I think some of what that guy said was for me. Tell somebody else. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.